You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, May the 26th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Fridays, we respond to emails that we have received. This email is entitled, Dear Pastors, It's Okay to Defend the Creation Account. Science just gave you permission. Now, a lot of you can write me at my email address, and here's the email address that you can write to, tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. You can order materials, you can ask me questions, etc. Well, this email is from Jason Matera. Now, I'm a pastor. I am not a trained scientist. Therefore, I listen to people who are trained scientists, particularly in the area of biology. And that deals with what I refer to not as evolution, but as evolution, because it is definitely a temptation from Satan to have us believe in evolution rather than the creation account of God's word. But a lot of times, laity wonder, how can I convince someone who is not a Christian why they need to believe what the Bible says according to Genesis? This is very important because it is a way of defending the faith. We do not use evidence outside of the Bible, but we listen to proper scientists and they can give us help in understanding why evolution is not even possible. The article begins by talking about megachurch pastor Andy Stanley's recent advocacy of theistic evolution. What does that mean? Theistic evolution is the idea that God used evolution to create the world rather than the six-day, 24-hour creation as found in Genesis. Now, Andy Stanley is the pastor of North Point Church Community in California. And in essence, he is to defend the Bible, but he doesn't. Instead, his position is at odds with the biblical story of creation, which is found in Genesis. There are two reasons why he cannot synchronize Genesis with Darwin. Darwin is, of course, the person looked to who created evolution. Number one reason is the plain reading of Scripture does not permit such a harmonization to take place. And we're not just talking about Genesis. It's clear that Adam and Eve were not only the first human beings, but because of their sin, 
death was brought into creation. There was no death until the sin of Adam and Eve. That's why we kind of look forward looking to heaven, because there will be no death in heaven. It will be like a return to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, lions did not eat other lions or other animals. They ate grain. And in fact, the Bible says in heaven, also lions will be eating grain and vegetables. And so it will be a return to the Garden of Eden. Well, there's no doubt that you can't synchronize Darwin with Genesis. But the second frustrating aspect, which Jason Matera, who sends us this email, talks about, is the focus of those who disavow creation because they don't want to disavow it. They don't want to be seen in conflict with science. Unfortunately, their view of science pertains to evolutionary claims, and that is not proper science. In fact, the latest scientific literature continues to drive a stake through the heart of Darwin's original hypotheses, and that was survival of the fittest. And the fittest would turn into different species. Now, this is going to be really important for this position on KFUO because we're going to learn the difference between macroevolution and microevolution. Believe it or not, Christians do agree with microevolution, but not with macroevolution. So let me explain in layman's terms what that means. This really, this new evidence comes by way of an international journal called Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. And it seeks to offer informative and critical reviews of recent advances in different aspects of biophysics and molecular biology. In other words, we're not talking about internet ridiculousness that's posted on Wikipedia. How many times have I told you, if you want to know the opposite of Lutheran or biblical theology, then look at the questions and their answers on Wikipedia. Their answers are rarely biblical. Well, this journal published a paper not too long ago with the title, Neo-Darwinism Must Mutate, Mutate to Survive. That means it has to change. And it was penned by two scholars, one at the University of Missouri in Columbia and another at the University of Texas at Arlington. 
And these authors waste no time in getting to their main idea. And here's a quote. Darwinism evolution is a 19th century descriptive concept that itself has evolved. Selection by survival of the fittest was a captivating idea. Microevolution was biologically and empirically verified by discovery of mutations. Now, there has been limited progress to this modern idea. The central focus of this perspective is to provide evidence to document that selection based on survival of the fittest it is insufficient for anything other than microevolution. Okay, now I understand you may not particularly realize what these people are saying, but these are two scientists who say that Darwin's theory is insufficient for anything other than microevolution. But Darwin's theory is about macroevolution. Now, what's the difference? This is the most important part of this essay. Microevolution talks about the variation that exists within a particular species. It could be the result of environmental factors like impacts on a local climate, or it could be man-made, as in the case with animal breeding. The point is that the variations take place within a specific group. Microevolution, and this, this is what these scientists are saying, does not account for an entirely new species. For example, fish classifications are numerous, but all of them remain fish. They don't mutate into frogs, crocodiles, or birds. The changes within fish are referred to as microevolution, but they still all remain fish. They don't become frogs, crocodiles, or birds, which would be necessary with macroevolution. So they have a PhD in microbiology, and the other professor is a professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering. They both assert that selection based on survival of the fittest is insufficient for anything other than microevolution. Now, remember what microevolution is. It's changes within a species. For example, we don't believe that every kind of dog that we have here on Earth 
was on Noah's Ark. No, there were at least two dogs on Noah's Ark, and from them came all the other species of dogs. It's the same with human beings. Adam and Eve were the first human beings, but within their DNA was also the DNA of not just white people, not just black people, but Japanese, Chinese, etc. That's called microevolution. In short, these scientists say it's mathematically preposterous to infer that macroevolution occurred because of microevolution observations. They write that macroevolution has shown to be probabilistically highly implausible, and they say it's on the order of 10 to 50 when based on selection by survival of the fittest. Now, if you're like me, and we don't have any idea how I passed high school pre-calculus class, you see a number like 10 to 50, and our brain shuts off. What does that mean? Yet, unlike my high school days, there are currently online tutorials that put the concept of negative exponents in layman's terms. You can see for yourself when they say that 10 to the power of negative 50, that to the right of the decimal point are 50 zeros. Basically, non-mathematicians would call that a ridiculously absurd likelihood. The odds of something occurring with 10 to the minus 50 is really impossible. Now, these two scientists, Brown and Hollander, they're distinguished university employees, so their conclusion is more academic sounding. But listen to the following paragraph, listen to it carefully, and you'll get even their view about that ridiculously absurd likelihood that Darwin considered. Quote, any overall mechanistic explanation of the origin and evolution of life ultimately must satisfy two challenges. The one is transition from non-life to life. And the second is the blossoming of life forms that is so extreme as to appear outrageous. In other words, even the theories of how evolution takes place, there's no explanation how all of a sudden some molecules get life. Life in the sense of having brains that can think, eyes that can see, 
ears that can hear. There, there's no explanation how that came about. And the second thing they say, which is quite ridiculous, is that from a micro idea, like a fish, that that turned into a giraffe. It, it's just ridiculous. They, they write, this is a quote, evolution of a few flowers on a hillside, that's reasonably explained by mutation and selection. But it stretches the logic to explain the millions of extremely diverse species seen currently and in the fossil record. You know, I've been telling you, I really enjoy watching YouTube. Not only are there a lot of free movies you can look at, but also cooking shows. I, I just saw one yesterday that goes through various elements you use for cooking and what were the best ones to purchase. But one of my favorite things is taking a look at the area of science. It is true that a few flowers on a hillside can be explained by mutation and selection, maybe because of the climate, etc. But these scientists say it stretches logic to explain the millions of extremely diverse species seen currently and in the fossil record. One of the YouTubes I like looking at are things that they're finding in the ocean. I mean, they're finding creatures in the ocean that hardly have any similarity to other creatures in the ocean. Uh, the way that in the deepest dark of the ocean, they emit light. Other creatures do not. The way they breed is totally different, one from the other. In other words, the idea that you can take a look at these various creatures in the ocean and think they came about from microevolution really is quite ridiculous. It's 10 to the minus 50th. Therefore, these two scientists note that probable assessment has largely been overlooked for the simple fact that generally accepted evolution is scientifically established. That's what they're saying when they know that it is not. It says it happened, we are here, so the probability is one, not 10 to minus 50. Today's scientific com community has assumed Darwinian evolution to be true for a very simple reason. They are philosophically hostile to a theistic alternative namely 
that God created the whole universe in six 24-hour days. So you do have outspoken atheists like Richard Dawkins, for example, who intently tries to make sense not of intelligent design by a creator, but intelligent design apart from a god. And these atheists have been reduced to spitballing guesses about space aliens or multiverse phenomena as potential answers to our fundamental questions about life's origin. This atheistic pre-commitment is less about science and more about absolving themselves in their minds at least because they don't want to be accountable to a holy God who requires our obedience. I, I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to who assert theistic evolution. And when you ask them, why do you believe such nonsense? It's because they want to be seen as intelligent. They won't, don't want to be against science. But proper science begins with a hypothesis, which then is tested. It tested in a laboratory. They have yet in a laboratory to create a new species from a different species. I mean, you can give them a hundred frogs and they never will end up with a lion or a giraffe or a horse. In fact, I've seen Sunday school material put out by the ELCA, who of course believe in evolution. And they say, well, the way a horse became a giraffe is that there were leaves in trees, but they were higher than a horse could reach. So the horse craned its neck and was able to eat leaves at a higher level. And its children or offspring, therefore were born with higher necks until you got to a giraffe. That is mathematically implausible. And that's what opponents or proponents of Darwinian evolution, they're running up against another obstacle. Charles Darwin's theory, remember, is built on a model of transitionary phases where lower life forms evolve into higher, more advanced ones through the method of natural selection and survival of the fittest. Well, this, we're told, has taken place through incremental intervals spanning millions of years, eventually producing superior organisms, including human beings. Well, the problem with that theory, it turns out, has a big assumption. 
that these transitionary phases improve an organism's chance of survival. But as these two scientists point out, this assumption is unwarranted. It has never happened in a laboratory. Scientists are unable to do it, and therefore, it's not possible. So the big thing that you need to remember here is the difference between these two words microevolution and macroevolution. And what these two scientists who still believe in evolution, they're, they're saying that what we've got to do is upgrade Darwin's original hypotheses to make more sense than it's making now. They really believe that through microevolution, which is variations within a particular species, that therefore that species becomes a different species, like a dog becomes a horse, which becomes a giraffe, or which can become a lion, or which becomes a snake. This is ridiculous. As we have seen, when Adam and Eve were created, the stars were able to be seen in heaven on their first day of creation. But evolution teaches that the light of the stars traveling at 186,000 miles per second would take centuries to reach the earth because some stars are so far away. But no, on the first day of creation, that light, was seen on the earth by Adam and Eve. So, keep in mind, microevolution versus macroevolution. And that shows that not only Genesis, but the rest of the Bible are correct, correct in a six-day, 24-hour creation account. We won't be here on Monday Due to the holiday, we'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.